Welcome to the Infographic Instance Audio Brief. This brief, the upcoming $4 trillion infrastructure gold rush, presents an overview of an Ian Wine Skolkovo Emerging Market Brief, which you can find a link to under this audio recording. As a disclaimer, the material in this audio brief has been copyrighted. The upcoming $4 trillion infrastructure gold rush. Abstract. The largest 25 emerging markets, by population size, will need to make about $4 trillion worth of investments by 2020. What does this mean for investors looking to cash in on the boom in government and hopefully private spending on infrastructure? Which markets will generate the most revenues for large international and domestic engineering and construction companies? How can investors profit from this $4 trillion gold rush? In this brief, we identify the global design firms and local construction and engineering companies based in emerging markets which will benefit most. We also provide five recommendations for improving the rate of return of these companies which they can earn from this infrastructure boom. Such recommendations include lobbying for the full implementation of the WTO Agreement on Public Procurement, particularly in emerging markets, directly investing at in emerging market infrastructure companies, securitizing and investing in water and transport companies, increasing the scope of services provided during master planning projects, and selling equity in infrastructure more widely in developing markets. Introduction. The most populous emerging markets will need to spend roughly $4 trillion by 2020 on infrastructure. The extra 350 million people born into emerging markets in the next decade will require infrastructure like water, energy, communication, and transport in order to work. Since the 1970s, investment bankers and cabinet-level political leaders have seen sewage, bridges, roads, and coal-burning energy plants as boring and dirty at best, and politically explosive at worst. Much better work on global knowledge products, whatever those are, rather than a rail line which will displace thousands of families needs to be done. Yet the infrastructure boom in fast-growing emerging markets like Indonesia, Turkey, and China has made infrastructure fashionable again. Who needs infrastructural investment? In what areas? How can investors benefit from the upcoming infrastructure gold rush? In this brief, we argue that investors, both at the retail level and in large construction and engineering companies, will need to spend significant sums of money to develop this $4 trillion market. Construction companies, and the investors that fund them, will need to work with governments to develop infrastructure project ideas, arrange for funding, and of course, build the projects. In the first section of this audio brief, we look at major markets which will, or at least should, experience an infrastructure spending gold rush in the next decade. We find that many of the usual suspects, like China and India, represent large profit opportunities. However, other countries like Iran, Philippines, and the Ukraine represent important overlooked opportunities. 
Spending in areas like water and transport represents large potential growth areas. The second section looks at government's capacity to pay. We assess how much funding governments will be able to provide and how much res residual demand remains for enterprising design firms to tap using private funding. The third section presents the engineering and construction companies most able to take advantage of large-scale increases in infrastructure spending in the emerging markets we analyze. Many of these companies are listed on public stock exchanges, thus pose potentially lucrative investments for both corporate and retail investors like you. The fourth section provides lessons and recommendations for companies looking to grow their revenues in this expanding area of activity. Section 1. Emerging markets need for big four infrastructure investment. Emerging markets require infrastructure based on the size of their populations. Bigger and denser countries require more transport, energy, communications, and water than smaller countries. Figure 1 shows the top 25 most populous emerging markets and the urban concentrations requiring infrastructure investment. Let us put the infrastructure challenge into perspective. The Indonesian government must build a city the size of Rome every year to accommodate the roughly 2.5 million extra people born there. Mexican authorities must build a new Kuala Lumpur every year to accommodate the extra 1.3 million people born each year. Let us not forget China, a country whose government must raise a city the size of Bangkok from its vacant plains each and every year. India must create a new Mumbai each year. Most of us have seen whole new parts of cities added very quickly, like the Bilkent area outside of Ankara, or the new city of New Songdo in South Korea created from scratch. We have seen Dubai and Doha grow to the horizons. Yet we do not stop to think about the revenues generated by the construction and engineering companies that actually build these new urban centers. Some urban centers present better opportunities than others for investors looking to capitalize on the upcoming infrastructure boom. Figure 2 shows the growth rates of populations in the fastest growing countries and the speed of urbanization. The sub-Saharan countries of Kenya, Congo, and Tanzania have grown the fastest, both inside their cities and outside. Regardless of whether these governments can pay for infrastructure, these countries have the fastest growing infrastructure needs. The Asian countries of China, Vietnam, and Bangladesh have rapid rates of urbanization, making investments in dense cities profitable. The slow-growing economies in Eastern Europe and Latin America represent less stellar opportunities. Infrastructure investment would likely consist of modernizing existing infrastructure rather than constructing whole new cities. The question mark countries in the Middle East have fast overall growth but slow growth inside their cities. As mostly agrarian, subsistence economies, their infrastructure needs remain far from certain. Companies looking to invest in each of these markets will most likely take a portfolio-based view of such investment. What do we mean by infrastructure? Figure 3 shows an example of infrastructure used in the Turkish Metropolitan Center of Istanbul. 
City planners in Istanbul need to spend roughly 30 billion dollars per year to keep up the metropolitan area's roads, airport, ports and rail access. In addition, they need to plan for the city's growth by developing new capacity as the population grows. City planners must do the same with water, sewage and fresh water, energy generated through a number of ways including coal, gas, petrol, nuclear and alternative, telecommunications like landlines, mobile phones and internet connections, as well as transport, roads, rail, ports and airports. Each new child raised in former Constantinople will require water, energy, communications and transport to function as a productive member of society and the global economy. The 25 most populous emerging markets will need to spend about $4 trillion in infrastructure investment in the upcoming decade. Figure 4 shows the overall infrastructure requirements for these economies. Emerging markets will need to invest at least in water, fresh and sewage, as previous governments have done a relatively good job of providing such infrastructure. Water services need modernizing in many emerging market countries. However, for most emerging markets, providing water still remains a relatively low cost proposition. Investments in power will come to about $630 billion, representing mostly new power generation. We assume that emerging markets will continue to use the least cost methods available. The information technology IT, revolution will increase electricity consumption for most of the developing world. However, efficiencies in the production and transmission of such electricity have led to overall decreasing costs over time. Telecommunications and transport represent the bulk of infrastructure investment needs in emerging markets. Emerging markets have a long way to go toward fully capitalizing on the internet revolution. Most emerging markets of all income levels still require significant levels of internet backbone, household and commercial wiring, as well as server investment. Most of such investment will help fund entertainment rather than genuinely economically productive activity. However, our job revolves around estimating demand, not passing judgment on such demand. Finally, transport represents about $1.4 trillion in needed investment by 2020. Growing populations will need to travel farther to go to work, sometimes even internationally. Growing volumes of international trade will necessitate more advanced supply chains. Effective demand for infrastructure. How much will they pay? Public procurements in emerging markets if they come in at anywhere near the lowest end of the OECD members, will come to about $4 trillion by 2020. What would such investment actually buy? Figure 5 shows what these abstract figures mean in concrete terms. The roughly $1.8 trillion China will spend on infrastructure will build infrastructure equivalent to the gross metropolitan product of Tokyo. A country's GDP tax collection capabilities and procurement contracting possibilities naturally limit its ability to expand its infrastructure. Such limited capabilities, unsurprisingly, affect Tanzania, Congo, Ethiopia, and Kenya. 
Without a budget constraint, their infrastructure spending would approach Turkish or Argentine levels. As such, these countries will need to find ways of crowding in private investment. Past private investment in infrastructure tells us something about the extent to which countries will allow private investment in infrastructure in the future. Countries like Colombia and the Ukraine require very significant amounts of infrastructure investment. However, they have maintained policies which prevent such investment. Differences between countries like Turkey and the Ukraine illustrate the impact that policy can have on engineering and construction company prospects of winning contracts in these kinds of countries. Turkey has almost double of the Ukraine's population. Yet, as shown in Figure 6, Turkey has more than seven times the private investment in infrastructure that the Ukraine has. Media reports claim that China represents the largest opportunity for construction and engineering firms. Yet looking at the data, Brazil represented a far larger opportunity for these countries than China, in terms of volume of private investment. Which governments will be able to pay for construction and engineering companies in the upcoming decade? Figure 7 shows, given their current state of public finances, the countries most likely to buy infrastructure in the future. China, in particular, pays little on its relatively small level of debt and maintains a high sovereign debt rating. The Chinese government, even without crowding in private investment, will be able to contract for significant amounts of infrastructure-related goods, services, and works. For countries like Turkey, though, the prospects of obtaining government contracts for infrastructure look far less promising. Turkey has a moderate debt level, about 35% of GDP, though with a widening budget deficit and relatively high interest rates on government debt. At the other extreme, India has already has a high debt level compared to GDP, and continuing public deficits promise to expand such debt levels further. With relatively high interest levels on government debt, we cannot see where the Indian federal government would find the resources necessary to expand its investment on infrastructure. Ability to contract for public procurement represents as important a consideration as the ability to pay. In some countries, large engineering companies can contract relatively easily for infrastructure procurements, like in South Africa. In other countries, like Egypt, Kenya, and Turkey, firms have far more difficulty. Figure 8 shows the ratings of a number of countries in terms of appraisal, selection, management, and evaluation of the tender process for infrastructure projects. Complex procurement procedures have led to suboptimal levels of infrastructure in the markets that need it the most, even in reasonably well-off economies like Brazil, Thailand, and Turkey. So, how much money will governments and private sector investors make available to fund these $4 trillion demands? As we discuss later in this brief, investors may supply any amount up to this amount. Government funding, through taxes, helps spread the risk to the private sector of engaging in such investments. However, as we have shown, many governments will find tax and spend financing expensive given the borrowing and contracting costs we have illustrated above. Section 3. 
cashing in on the infrastructure gold rush, investing in global firms. Investors will want to invest in this $4 trillion opportunity by buying shares in the global design firm giants. Figure 9 shows the returns of the global construction and engineering companies compared with the global market portfolio and the largest company in the class. Global engineering and construction companies have generally performed in line with the market, beating the market slightly during the recession and underperforming during the recovery. Unsurprisingly, a diversified portfolio of construction and engineering companies has performed better than the largest company in the group, AECOM. Investors looking to take advantage of the upcoming investment boom in infrastructure should seek to invest in a diversified range of these companies, in the U.S. as well as in emerging markets. The top 10 global design firms earned about $20 billion in 2012. As we describe in Figure 10, no infrastructure industry exists per se. Problems defining such an industry make research about the sector particularly difficult. The various activities which go into designing, building, and maintaining cities go by a wide variety of names and economic classifications. You have probably heard of many of these companies, yet not heard about the industry in which they work. Despite their importance, these companies actually earn relatively little revenue. The top companies, mostly from the petrol sector, on the Fortune Global 100, earned revenues over $100 billion per year. In contrast, the largest of the global design firms booked a meager $7.3 billion in 2012. Box. What is a design firm? Who builds the world's cities? We actually cannot say for sure. Design firms do the layout, architecture, and design of buildings, and even entire cities. Some famous names include AECOM and ARUP. Contractors do the actual construction. Some famous names include Bechtel and Casanza. Most of these companies represent portfolios of projects rather than companies as we think about them in the usual sense. Nike makes shoes and clothing. IBM makes computers. Yet AECOM can give advice on economic development policies, the design of an airport, or help arrange for builders to come and put a skyscraper together. The largest company, AECOM, weighs in at a number 1,907 on the Forbes 2000 list, with a market capitalization of only $3.2 billion. On the other hand, China State Construction International weighs in at $5.8 trillion. Despite the importance of the infrastructure industry, the financial press rarely discusses these behemoths. You won't find these design companies in a list of industrial sectors in the Wall Street Journal. You also won't find them in one area of the standard industrial classification SIC list. A company might be an engineering company like Cardno, an engineering consulting company like Tetratech, or a construction and civil engineering company like Flatiron Construction. China State Construction represents a construction company and a potential contractor if the firm decides to operate in earnest abroad. A Factiva search presents construction as an economic sector, yet omits the companies that do all the intellectual part of the work. A good step towards sizing this four, upcoming $4 trillion booty may consist of actually naming this industry. 
Investments in the global design firms may represent an important way to access cheaply and effectively the upcoming boom in infrastructure investment. Figure 11 provides a vademecum for the would-be retail or wholesale investor in global infrastructure. Of the $20 billion these companies earned in 2012, roughly 40% of these funds came internationally, namely outside their own country. For about half of these countries, international revenues means revenues earned outside the USA. While some of these revenues came from other developed markets, an increasing share comes from the emerging markets we describe in this brief. For example, AECOM booked roughly $3.5 billion out of its total $7.3 billion in turnover in 2012 internationally, namely outside the US. These design firms provide numerous lessons for would-be competitors from developing markets like Russia. First, as portfolio companies, they bring together a range of skills. AECOM staff can do a cost-benefit analysis of a tunnel or advise on its building. They do not specialize in building bridges, roads, or even cities. They specialize in, quote, design, end quote, meaning they can design infrastructure from bespoke rails to entire megapoly. Second, these companies can provide the necessary scale for the infrastructure investments of the next decade. The top 10 global design firms amass assets of roughly equal to India's entire publicly listed engineering and construction industry. The total assets these companies command eclipse those listed on public firms in 90% of the emerging markets we review in this brief. Third, they show that city building comprises far more than construction. The largest construction companies, called contractor firms by specialists, hail from China. These include China State Construction and Engineering, China Railroad Construction, and China Railroad Engineering. Investing in Emerging Market Firms Many investors from emerging markets cannot or want not to invest in the global design firms. Yet, by market capitalization and assets, many engineering and construction companies in emerging markets provide locally grown alternatives to the global design firms. Figure 12 shows the size of engineering and construction sectors in the emerging markets we study in this brief. In many countries, like the Ukraine or Bangladesh, these companies either remain too small or too private to provide statistics needed for our comparisons. Yet, in some cases, particularly China, India, and Brazil, their construction and engineering companies rival those in many Western European countries. The volatility in infrastructure funding represents one of the largest obstacles to the development of a homegrown design sector in emerging markets. Figure 13 provides an example of the volatility of such investment from Brazil. Year-on-year -year changes in investment in each of the four major infrastructure sectors we analyze in this brief can easily change over 100% from one year to the next. Changes in overall investment, summing over these four components, has varied significantly over the decade. Overall, infrastructure decreased until about 2014 and then rose afterwards with a bump in 2010. Volatility in Brazil's private infrastructure investment represents the norm among emerging markets rather than the exception. 
Cashing in on the emerging markets infrastructure gold rush requires significant as well as sustained investment in the years ahead. The global design firms have engaged in a significant amount of work in these emerging markets. However, they have not been able to bring the kinds of investment needed to build entire cities from scratch. They remain bidders in large-scale procurements. What can these firms and their counterparts in the emerging markets do to make, rather than take, infrastructure markets? Section 4. Growing Emerging Markets for Infrastructure Emerging market governments alone cannot and will not tax and procure $4 trillion in infrastructure. They can buy 322,580 shares of ACM, that represents ACCOM's ticker, with their $10 million funding budget. Better yet, they can ask for about 25 million shares of JPIN, which is JP Infratech's ticker symbol in India. They, namely you, can encourage water and transport companies, the most difficult part of this market to reach, to issue shares and sell their debt more widely. Finally, all kinds of non-construction types can profit from the upcoming infrastructure gold rush. Lawyers can help write the regulations which govern the ways that new rail lines work. Auditors can assess risks of a communications breakdown. Even marketing firms and NGOs can grab a piece of the pie by offering marketing and surveying services. All these service providers can issue shares in their own markets and in foreign markets. The securitization of these professions in emerging markets will help capitalize this $4 trillion boom. Sign, implement, and use the WTO Agreement on Government Procurement. The WTO Agreement on Government Procurement represents one of the most important agreements that you have probably never heard of. The agreement requires governments to publicize information about their public procurement laws, regulations, and invitations for the tender of goods, services, and works. In theory, every time the governments of the largest economies want to procure a large bridge, port, or even city, they should let companies in other large economies know. These economies include the members of the OECD, or Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, and some others like Hong Kong, Iceland, Israel, Korea, Taiwan, and conspicuously Armenia. Many of the governments who could benefit from most from the liberalization in procuring infrastructure-related goods, services, and works have only started to open up. Figure 14 shows the status of several observer governments to the WTO Committee on Government Procurement. Only China and the Ukraine have declared their interest in acceding to the agreement. What about the other countries? Protected infrastructure markets hurt engineering and construction companies who cannot compete abroad. Governments like India and Indonesia also suffer, as they pay far more for far less infrastructure. Business persons in these countries, as well as the countries doing business with them, should write to their relevant WTO representative agency in order to encourage them to accede to the agreement. Implementing the agreement on public procurement represents a far more important step than signing the agreement. 
Figure 15 shows the number of infrastructure and construction tenders published on a popular website. Large economies like Brazil and Mexico have few tenders listed on these sites, with much of such work reserved for local firms and large companies which know how to navigate through local government bureaucracies. Even for large economies like Turkey or South Africa, the number of tenders easily accessible to up-and-coming bidders looking to cross borders remains extremely small. In theory, most governments announce public procurements on their procurement agency's website. These statistics show that such information does not filter out widely, if at all. Provide capital to fledgling design companies in emerging markets. Construction and engineering companies in emerging markets certainly do not lack opportunities for potential work. Why does, such, why does much work go to global design firms? Why do potentially profitable infrastructure projects go unbuilt? Many infrastructures simply do not know about these infrastructure firms and the kinds of returns they can generate for them. Figure 16 shows an index of equity prices of three infrastructure-related shares we have chosen at random. Readers should keep three features about these companies' equity in mind. First, if they had invested in companies like Jappy Infratech, they would have tripled their money in a bit over three years. Second, these shares offer something for every investor. Investors in the Mexican Development and Employment Promotion Company would have experienced very steady returns over the period, albeit losing a bit of money. Third, when all three shares combine into one single portfolio, their overall risk falls and returns increase significantly. Imagine holding equal shares of the Vietnam infrastructure and the Mexican infrastructure stocks. You would have broken even with very little variance in the prices of your shares. When you combine these two with an equal weighting of the Indian stock, you would have profited, without much of the price variance experienced by Jappy alone. Which emerging market infrastructure-related companies can investors put capital into? Figure 17 shows the names of many of the largest of these companies by market capitalization and by assets. Many of the, these largest companies represent relatively small concerns compared to the global design firms. However, with assets of over $5 billion, the largest Brazilian infrastructure companies could compete with their global rivals. With a market capitalization of $1.6 billion, Indonesian companies like InnoVisi Infracon could also compete with their global design firm rivals. Why don't more investors choose these companies? Unfortunately, these companies lack the good fortune to grow in countries which have encouraged foreign openness to their goods and services. See our recommendation about the WTO agreement above. For investors willing to invest indirectly through a collective investment scheme, they can also tap a wide range of infrastructure companies. Four large global infrastructure exchange-traded funds, or ETFs, supposedly dominate the market for indirect investment in these companies. Yet iShares Global Infrastructure IGF, invests less than 10% of its capital in emerging market infrastructure companies. The iShares S&P Emerging Markets Infrastructure Index Fund or EMIF, 
has over 50% of its capital invested in China, 28% and Brazil 32%. The, F the FTSE Macri Global in Infrastructure 100 invests entirely in upper income economies with more than half of the ETF's capital in the U.S. Only PowerShare's Emerging Markets Infrastructure Portfolio PXR, provides a broad range of investment in emerging market infrastructure companies, and we provide its holdings in the appendix. Investors should also allocate more capital to emerging market infrastructure companies. Mutual fund and portfolio managers should provide a broader range of emerging market companies for investors to tap. In practice, that may mean shoving a bunch of Ukrainian and Bangladeshi infrastructure shares into mutual funds that Wall Street brokers flog to institutions. Invest in former public goods like water and transport. Water and transport represent public goods. Attempts to privatize water in emerging markets have generally led to civil unrest. Think Bolivia. The efficient and low-cost railways of Western Europe show that investors can only recoup their investments indirectly. However, investing in water and transport may still represent viable alternatives for investors. Much recent research shows that the question is not whether to privatize or not. Instead, governments and investors should focus on right privatizing, or privatizing the optimal amount of water and transport service given the country's level of development. How can investors take advantage of new opportunities to participate in emerging markets for supposedly public goods like water and transport? Figure 18 shows several of the publicly traded companies which invest in water and transport infrastructure in emerging markets. We show the maximum share price as a percent of the minimum share price in 2012 to show that these companies' equity prices do not remain very stable and thus boring. Many of these shares, like any shares in general, would have produced extremely good returns if the investor timed their purchase and sales very well. These shares also provide investors with both exposure to these developing infrastructure markets as well as volatility which they can use to offset risks in other parts of their portfolios. These companies represent a drop in the proverbial bucket. Most of the emerging markets we study have very little, if any, private resources invested in their water and transport sectors. The largest economies like China, Russia, India, Brazil, Mexico, and so forth have private participation in these supposedly public goods. Yet, Figure 19 shows the woeful underinvestment in these sectors in the countries which need such investment the most. Total investment in these countries since 2000 has totaled $16.4 billion, roughly three times the size of Ireland's water sector-related investments alone. Such investments will not come anywhere near enough to providing the needs for future Ukrainian, Indonesian, and Kenyan workers. Private, private sector funding can fill most, if not all, of this gap. Consider the largest water and waste infrastructure providers account for about $1 billion in revenues. MWH Global obtains roughly 80% of its revenue from water and waste. 
the company earned about $590 million internationally in 2012. Brown and Caldwell, a US-only water provider, earned $282 million in revenue in 2012. The revenues alone of these two companies account for total private investment in the water sector in Thailand for the previous decade. Incorporating local water providers, at least partially, publicly held corporations could provide capital and revenue generating possibilities in emerging markets. From artistic to practical master planning. Many urban master plans remain pieces of art rather than implementable projects. Figure 20 shows one of the many examples of beautiful master plans designed for large urban areas. These plans provide for green areas, environmentally friendly mixed use, working and living areas, and easy access to transport. Type the city of your choice and the words master plan into Google and you will certainly find your plan. These master plans look like cities from Lord of the Rings because the design firms who create such master plans have no responsibility for implementing them. In fact, no government agency or contractor has the legal or administrative obligation to implement these master plans. Interestingly, no statistical analyses yet exist assessing the number of these plans which have been implemented. If the design firms put together the projects which make up these master plans, the revenues will spread far beyond the AECOMs and their local cousins. Figure 21 shows some of the professions which must participate in implementing multi-project infrastructure-related master plans. Draughtsmen, the men and women who draw the pretty pictures, represent an important part of the master plan. So do the research companies which ask current residents if they want a new train station or a park. However, these master plans almost always fail to include the lawyers who must revise local planning ordinances, the public finance experts who must advise the city government how to budget for recurrent capital expenditures, and so forth. Audit represents a core activity in such master planning. Few policymakers and even business people understand the role audit can play at each step of the infrastructure master planning process. Auditors assess risks related to the plan, assess the extent to which the plan matches local and national development goals, and so forth. Such audit also ensures that bankers choose the best methods of long-term finance and that legal counsel drafts appropriate regulations. An audit firm has helped pay for this study, and the main author is an internal auditor. Such widespread participation by auditors in this work shows the importance of audit in urban design and infrastructure planning. Professional service firms can prepare for this wave of infrastructure in a number of ways. Lawyers and marketing firms can help sensitize taxpayers in many of these low-tax paying countries, particularly India and Russia, about the importance of paying taxes and monitoring procurement-related public expenditure. Most readers would laugh when reading this recommendation. However, such trends have underpinned large increases in spending in Brazil, South Africa, Mexico, and Turkey. These professional service firms can also let the design firms and construction companies know about their services far more aggressively. 
When you approach many URS project managers and tell them they should consider an analysis of local regulations or model economic impacts, many stare with incredulity. Few tender proposals consider the range of services we describe in Figure 21 which would help ensure the long-term sustainability of many of these infrastructure procurements. Using design firm development to deepen equity markets. In OECD countries, tying long-term infrastructure development to stock markets seems extremely dubious. However, present crisis notwithstanding, the overall trend toward equity market development correlates with infrastructure development. In the US, the first publicly traded corporations emerged to fund large infrastructure like a bridge over Boston's Charles River. Building large motorways in Moscow, Cairo, Kiev, and Mexico City can ease infrastructure burdens. More importantly, the projects set up as corporations to collect the money for these projects can offer savers a $50 million vehicle for saving and drawing a pension in their old age. Such securities, either stocks or debt issued by these projects, then goes into other portfolios, serves as bank collateral, and serves a key in what economists call the money multiplier. In all the emerging markets we study for this brief, the private securitization of even a modicum of infrastructure investment would expand equity markets significantly. Figure 22 shows the effect of such securitization, namely breaking up infrastructure projects into companies and selling their shares to the general and investing public. In Mexico, such infrastructure investment would represent about half the value of the Mexican Borsa stock market. In Argentina and Turkey, such investments would increase the size of each country's traded securities by about 10%. Relatively small increases in the size of the Egyptian or Kenyan equities markets likely reflect investors' inability to absorb investments in very large projects. Gross national product in these countries would need to grow before large-scale securitization would increase the size of these stock markets. Participants in all stages of an infrastructure project should consider using securitization as they build emerging markets $4 trillion worth of projects. Governments can tender projects already incorporated as corporations and tender shares along with project specifications. Design firms can sell off projects as special purpose vehicles, though the name has nasty connotations in a post-Lehman financial market. Emerging market firms can issue their own shares more widely on the world's exchanges as a way of pooling the risks inherent in the shares of any one project. The construction and engineering designer firms of emerging markets can serve as surrogate portfolios. They can assemble the shares of 200 or more projects in various emerging markets corporatized projects. Such a financing method would make companies like Indonesia's Wiyaya Karya Percero or the Mexican Grupo Carso far less risky, bigger, and more financeable. Conclusions Emerging market governments will need to invest about $4 trillion in order to meet residential and commercial demand for infrastructure. In this brief, we looked at needed water, including wastewater, telecom, 
transport, and energy infrastructure in the most populous emerging markets. We could not tell the reader where planners and constructors should place each bridge or wireless antenna. However, we could exploit patterns in overall spending in advanced OECD markets to predict how much infrastructure investment emerging market governments need to make. Using the law of large numbers, country-specific idiosyncrasies drown into broad patterns showing additional infrastructure spending needed by these emerging markets. We argue that investors in both OECD and emerging markets could invest far more in infrastructure companies. We identify some of the major infrastructure companies for retail and investment firm customers looking to take advantage of this upcoming boom in infrastructure. Investors putting money in the global design firms can obtain broad coverage of this trend. Yet lesser-known companies in emerging markets need the capital and possibly use it far more profitably. An investment in a Thai, Russian, Mexican, or other construction and engineering company we identify in this brief may help investors take advantage of the upcoming emerging market infrastructure gold rush. We also identify ways that governments and companies can make the most out of these infrastructure-related needs. The WTO agreement on government procurement can open up markets to a range of lower cost and higher quality foreign design and construction firms. The agreement can also encourage emerging market firms to increase their assets and revenue abroad, thereby entering the League of Design Firms reserved for OECD member firms. Many infrastructure firms in both OECD and emerging markets remain in private hands. By listing, they can obtain more capital and increase their exposure in emerging markets. Finally, other professionals can also get in on the infrastructure boom. Lawyers, auditors, and even marketing firms can see a fair amount of residual demand generated from large infrastructure projects. They should seek work in this area. This has been an Infographic Instant audio brief. We hope you have enjoyed this reading of the upcoming $4 trillion infrastructure gold rush, read and written by Brian Michael.